for taking the time, first of all. We're li- really looking forward to the Soundgarden show in Tuscaloosa. And my first question for you, have you ever spent any time in Alabama before? You know, I don't think we've ever played in Alabama before. I know we've driven through it many times. I think the closest, and I, you know, I could be wrong, but to the best of my knowledge, I don't think there are any Lollapalooza tours or festivals that went through Alabama. I think the closest we played would have been Pensacola, Florida. We played a played a show there, and that's about 50 miles from the border, right, the Alabama line. Very, very close, for yeah. sure. So what's that near, Montgomery? Uh, Mobile. Mobile, yeah, okay, okay, yeah. So we were 50 miles, that's that's where we were, Pensacola. So that's a, that may be the closest we played. So, yeah, no. I, I, just, I just always hear the names when it comes up regarding college football. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, and you guys are obviously playing several shows in the South to open this tour in Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee. How would you describe your experience and exposure to the South and Southern music early on and throughout the years as a musician? As a kid growing up in Chicago or as someone, or as a band originating from Seattle? Either way. Well, you know, we've played Florida many, many times. We've played Atlanta many times. We've played New Orleans many times. We played, we played Biloxi twice, once with Guns N' Roses, and another time I think it was another bill. But I, I think Alabama might be the one place you haven't played. We played Tennessee over times. So we played Memphis and Nashville. So, you know, experiences as an adult and perceptions as a as a kid or teenager are all just kind of different things. Just like explaining to my relatives in 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 uh the East Coast or in in uh Europe what Chicago's like, you know. Congrats on the reissue of Ultra Mega Okay. I read in, in, an, in an interview you did with Rolling Stone back with the reissue of Bad Motorfinger that you sort of gained a new appreciation for that album during that process. Now, after nearly 30 years, how has your opinion on your first album changed, if at all? Well, Ultimate OK uh, is, is our second album. It's our first full-length album. Screaming Life, we've always considered our first album. Uh, it's technically... It was technically an EP. It's a very long EP or a mini album, but that was, you know, it was it was it was an original record, and it's in a period of time in the '80s where these they're kind of called punk rock EPs, which are basically punk rock albums, where indie bands and punk rock bands, because they were new to the market, usually they put five, six, seven, eight songs on a 12 inch, and then they'd be able to sell it for maybe six, seven bucks, as opposed to the ten bucks of a full-length album. So labels like Sub Pop, SST, Alternative Tentacles, Touch and Go, for their new acts, they put out EPs. I mean, bands like the Butthole Surfers, Big Black, uh, Mud Honey, Soundgarden, uh, on and on. So we put out Screaming Life. It was on Sub Pop Records. It was like the second album put out on Sub Pop. It was recorded by Jack and Dino, who's a, a you know famous guy. Did early Mud Honey and Nirvana records, it's, and so it's very much a distinct original record. Um, and then the next year, we we put, in the next year we put out a, an EP that was more of a more of an EP. It was it was a it was a cover song "Fop" by the Ohio Players, and it was sort of like a modified single. I 
I think EPs are often perceived as, and I think typically are modified singles where you build, you add a few extra songs to a single to kind of fortify that release. But we put those two things together, and then we had one big full length of those two EPs. Ultra Mega, okay, which, I, which you're asking about, we always considered our second album, but it was our first full, full length one. So that's the way that dis- that was distinguished, and it was for this our second label, which was SST, um, a new producer and a producer who, although we got along well with them and we loved the guy, we we had a communication problem with the final process, and we weren't that happy with the way the record sounded. By the way, that producer, Drew Canulet, great guy, he grew up in a. Uh, Outside of Louisiana, he grew up in Louisiana. I trying to remember where it was. It was in Baton Rouge or Shreveport. It was outside of New Orleans. Referring back to your first question, which I hope I answered. <laughs> totally, absolutely. Uh, okay. you, you, you mentioned Sub Pop, and, and a few years ago, there was an Alabama band who, who signed with Sub Pop, and, and it was a really huge deal for them, uh, a group that was moving forward and had so much respect for the label's history and what it's done for other artists. H- how do you currently reflect on, on your Sub Pop experience, and, and what do you think about how it's managed to just flourish the way it has and launch other careers? Well, I, I love Sub Pop for so many reasons. I, I, these guys are our peers. The, their, former, uh, their former classmates, at college, former workmates. Um, in, in one specific case, Bruce Pabbitt, the founder of Subtop, he's a childhood friend from you know, the from Park Forest, Illinois. I, we went to school with him. My, uh, he was a student of my mother's. In, uh, <laughs> my mom was an English teacher in, in the school district. Um, I've known him forever. His 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 brother. One of his brothers played a band with me. We made a single. His other brother was like my best friend throughout high school. And then Jonathan, that's Bruce Pavitt. Jonathan Poneman, the Bruce's partner, he started working with Bruce and partnered with Bruce on Sub Pop over the release of our first album, Screaming Life. It was, it was Bruce's label, but then John wanted to put out a record by us and Bruce wanted to put out a record. And it was over that project, the Screaming Life record, that we got those two together. And then they started working on, they, they worked together and putting out our record and our next record. And the, the, the first two EPs, Screaming Life and Fop. And the next year they opened up an office and uh, started a checking account, a bank account, and they were, got their business license, and that was it. The partnership was born. So we have a very intimate um, relationship with the genesis of Sub Pop and with the genesis of Soundgarden. I mean, they were very helpful and supportive of us. Now, people, bands that have been on Sub Pop, of course, in the early days were all our friends and peers, from Nirvana to Mud Honey to Swallow and and Tad and the Fluid. Um, of course, they got. They got their deal with Warner Brothers sometime in the in the 90s, and they started branching out and signing a lot more national and international artists. They had a few back back in the early 90s. They had a French band called Les Thugs, and they had some bands from you know around the country. But they're they're a lot bigger now, and 
I'm less acquainted with artists on their catalog personally than I was certainly in their first you know, five years. But we, because of that, they're fit very, they probably figure stronger than any other institution with our, with our history. Um, the house engineer, Jack and Dino, that's the guy who we just had remix Ultra Mega OK. He's our, he's the guy who recorded Screaming Life. The, the, uh, house produce, uh, photographer for Sub Pop was Charles Peterson. He did the cover photo for Screaming Life. He did the back cover photo for, a for the FOP EP. Uh, we've used his photography. He did the cover photo for Loud and Love, our major label debut. So, but I knew him in college, you know, back before Soundgarden existed, before, before Sub Pop became a record label. So I knew Mark Arm from Mudhoney in college. We were friends before we started our, our, our respective bands, Green River and Soundgarden. So it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. I'm, I'm skipping so many things. Like I was a DJ at the University of Washington's radio station. That's where I met Jonathan Poneman, who is the, you know, the current, uh, current head of, uh, Sub Pop. And, uh, Bruce ended up working there for a bit. You know, guys in Green River and Mudhoney worked there. So, it's a it's a thing. <laughs> I think I think I think Seattle was small enough that if you were in, involved in the underground or indie music scene here, you knew everybody else. That's kind of changed. That's due to the gold rush that Seattle became. Right? Seattle became perceptive, became perceived as as an active mine for the rest of the for, for musicians and and uh, and uh, corollary industries from around the around the the country and around the world. I want to ask you about the Guild S100, the the guitar in India. Yeah. Maybe you can only speak for yourself here, but how do you land on what ultimately becomes your guitar or, or one of your primary guitars, given all the options out there? What is it that you're looking for early on in the guitar to get so comfortable with it, and, and when did that click for you as, for this guitar? Well, you know, to tell you the truth, when you're young, you don't really know what you're looking for in a guitar. You're still finding your own voice. You're still getting familiar with your your fingers and your fingerings, and, and you're getting familiar with the guitar. The, you can grow into the instrument, and the instrument will grow into you in a way. The way it plays will be will accommodate how you learn and grow, and it could and 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 the, and the way it plays will certainly uh, not just facilitate how you learn, but it will then, you'll, you'll kind of draw out the best elements of that instrument to, you know, to facilitate that, you know, that relationship, that growth between uh, the player and the instrument. I think my first guitar I liked because it had such a cool, deep red color. It was like a Strat copy. It was like fire engine red, like a nice deep, well, Almost crimson, I suppose. But that thing was heavy, and I had to kind of learn how to play. And it had a certain kind of thick neck that was, you know, that I just became familiar with. But then the next guitar I got was a S100 Deluxe, and its neck was faster, and its pickups were louder, and the neck was a little bit thinner. And I, also, I found that it was just a little bit, it just facilitated you know the particulars of my uh my hands um with making chords and with 
playing my scales and runs. And I thought this was great. The fact that it was loud and I was was, was fantastic. And I started, you know, a couple bands. And so here I am running songs with that instrument. So that's increasing the familiarity. And I'm playing live with it. So it, it just became a guitar that I was far better acquainted with than Strass or, or Les Pauls or, or SGs. So that, and then as I grew with my taste and my style, I found that this guitar had, you know, peculiarities and idiosyncrasies that accommodated it. Um, I can play this guitar beneath the bridge, and it's very microphonic, and the pickups are, and, and playing the between the bridge and the tailpiece, I can generate lots of sounds there. Um, they have the best the best, you know, keys and hardware that you can find on the guitar, the Grover tuning keys. And but here's how that works in. You start dropping down to, you know, drop D tuning, or you start doing some of the other strange tunings that we've become known for, like, you know, open Cs or a drop D or, or DG, DG tunings. And now you've got these keys that keep your guitar in tune, and they're standard on the S100 Deluxe. So, as I'm playing around, all these things that I'm doing with this guitar, from microphonic pickups that allow me to get really warm feedback. When feedback is an important part of my guitar playing style, especially in the early days. Uh, playing beneath the bridge is an important part of my style. You can hear it a lot on Jesus Christ pose. You can hear it on Screaming Life, and in some places in Ultra Mega OK and, and through, through Super Unknown or King Animal. Um, the fact that the guitar stays in tune with these weird drop tunings or uh, open tunings is perfect. I can go through uh, a set with with without having to worry about swapping out the guitar. I only have to swap out the guitar if we're changing tuning. So that's that's how I came to love the S100. It does all those things better than other guitars. So th- does the mission change with each tour in terms of what you bring with the live experience for yourselves and the fans, does that change tour to tour or show to show? What's the feeling heading into this tour? You know, it it doesn't change in any pers- you know, any any in any way that's obvious to perceive except when we put out the twentieth anniversary of Super Unknown. We did a we did a number of shows that focused on the songs were super unknown. I think we might have played two shows. We played two or three shows. We played super unknown, start to finish, in, in its entirety, which we had never done before. Um, we had no plans to do that with Bad Motor Finger specifically, but because of the release of the 20th anniversary box set and remastering in November, and because of the remastering and the reissue of Ultra Mega OK, and having moved it from SST back to our, you know, our founding hometown label, Sub Pop, we have interest in emphasizing material from both Ultra Mega OK and Bad Motor Finger. But of course, we also have interest in playing material from our recent um, albums, Echo of Miles and King Animals. So there's material there that hasn't, you know, that, that we're still interested in, in, uh, in playing. So we like to do, we like to reference material from all throughout a career, 
but I think we might give a little bit of emphasis to Bad Motor Finger and Ultra Mega OK's reissuings. Tim, I just want to say thanks so much for the time. Can't wait to see you in Alabama, and y'all have a great tour. Well, thanks, man. Thank you.